Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. That you help us minister your word today, Father. We thank you that it, uh, you open up hearts, that this uh, is revelation. Uh, it, it ministers, it makes sense. Father, thank you for simplicity. Thank you for even illustrations, stories that I don't even have, things I don't even have on my notes. Father, we just thank you that we can be led by your spirit. Give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're starting this series, as I said, called The Waiting, uh, the Waiting Father. Here's a scripture, Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. It's to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. And so what we notice there that Jesus wants to illustrate something and he wants to go further with it. So he's going to tell a story to help have that happen. So what we want to do right now is we want to go backwards. We want to see what does he want to do? What is he talking about previously? So if we do that, we go back one verse to Luke 15 and verse 10. It says, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels even when one sinner repents. So now we start understanding what is he talking about when he says, I want to illustrate something further. Uh, he wants to go further. Well, the context and what he's talking about is he's saying this, like it's really important to God and angels rejoice when one sinner repents. That's what he's wanting to say. So we have to get and grab hold of the heart of God. Like it's important to God when people have a heart change. If they're not born again, they get saved. But even if they're Christians, even when Christians come back home and have a heart change, it's really big to God. Angels rejoice over it. And that's, what he, that's the context of what we're seeing here. So what happens then, here's a bullet point summary of chapter 15, because we want to see how did Jesus get there where he wanted to illustrate something further. So the first thing that happens in Luke 15 is he tells a story about tax collectors and sinners. And the tax collectors and sinners were coming to hear Jesus. And you know what? It was making the Pharisees and the doctors of the law mad because sinners and tax collectors were coming to Jesus. So they were upset about it. So Jesus then tells two stories. And what he's trying to do is get these, this group of people to understand how God is. So the first story he tells is this. He said there was a shepherd and the shepherd had one sheep get lost. The shepherd then pursued the one sheep. So notice how when Jesus tells a story, he's saying the shepherd is the pursuer. It wasn't like the, the sheep was the doing, but the shepherd was doing the pursuing. And then when the shepherd found the sheep, he called his friends and they rejoiced together that the one lost sheep was found. So you, you see what he's doing there. The Pharisees and the doctors of the law are mad because sinners are coming around Jesus. And then Jesus is thinking, you've got to understand this. This is what my father and me are all about. We're here to save people from their sins, and we're here to pursue those that are lost. So he tells that story. And then the next thing that he does, that there, there is a woman who loses one. She had ten silver coins, and she lost one. So the lady then pursues She's the pursuer, and she goes looking for that one lost coin, okay? And she finds the coin, she calls friends, and they rejoice because the one lost coin was found. So what is he doing? Like, well, he uses a sheep one time, and he uses a coin another time, but he's really trying to say, like, lost people are precious to me. 
My son shed his blood for everybody in the world, and that was holy blood. It was my only son. And the lost and people are important to me. And when people have heart change, heaven rejoices. That's what he's saying. So with all that in mind, then Luke chapter 15 and verse 10, going back there, uh, well, let's read it one more time. It says, in the same way, there, this is after he tells these stories, in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels even when one sinner repents. And this is what he's trying to get them to get. All right, so here's, here's just a little thing. What's the theme of Luke 15? It's love and forgiveness demonstrated by pursuing the lost at all costs. That's that theme, Luke 15. Love and forgiveness, and it's demonstrated by pursuing the lost at all costs. Okay. So, uh, let's go on to the next verse. Luke 15 and verse 11. To illustrate, illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man who had two sons, the younger son told his father, I want to share of your I want my share of your estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. That doesn't really seem like a big deal maybe to Western people, okay? But let's see what this guy named Dr. Kenneth Bailey, uh, and Dr. Kenneth Bailey is a former chairman of the biblical department at the Near Eastern School of Theology in Beirut. That's a mouthful. But in other words, he looked, this guy was over in the East, and the Bible is an Eastern book. You know, the Bible is an Eastern book. So this guy's over in the East in Beirut, Beirut and he is uh, the chairman of the biblical department. <laughs> I said that enough. Okay, so then, <laughs> during, during his years in the Middle East, he often would ask people, have you ever known a son to come to his father and demand his inheritance? He learned that such an act was unthinkable in that culture. It would represent an unspeakable offense and the grossest insult to a father. So even though maybe when we read it, it doesn't do that, but over in the East, that's, the, what, what, that, that's what that means. So Dr. Bailey, he only heard of two times when he asked all these people about it, he heard two different instances. Okay, the first one, the son was chased out of his home by an irate father. The father didn't even, it sounds like he didn't even give it to him. In the second, an oriental father, previously in good health, died within three months of his son's demand. The wife told Dr. Bailey the story, and she believed that her husband died of a broken heart. She said he died that night. So the only two that he ever heard about, the guy died after three months of a broken heart, it looks like, and the other one got irate, and he chased his son out of the house. So when we read this, here's why we're calling this the waiting father versus the prodigal son because it's we're going to look at the story of the prodigal son the the western world focuses on the son whereas the eastern world were focused on the father because what the son was doing makes eastern people very curious what's the father going to do because this is the grossest insult and this is a terrible thing when you ask for the inheritance so Jesus is telling the story, and the Eastern people are focusing on the father more than the son, whereas we, we call it the prodigal son, and we focus on the son probably more than the father. And next week we'll hear from Patsy about the son. But right now we're talking about the father. Okay, so um, moving on with this, here's a scripture, and we can see how people in the East, especially Jewish people, the ones Jesus are talking to, 
how they form their thought patterns and, and how they think. So Ezra chapter 9 and verse 15, it says, O Lord, God of Israel, you are just. We come before you in our guilt as nothing but an escape remnant, though in such a condition none of us can stand in your presence. Notice that there. Uh, in the Old Testament and in the Eastern world, especially with God, because they were under the law. And it, uh, the law and back being under the law it was do this and don't do that. And when you do wrong, God wasn't happy about it. Okay? So notice how that says that, you know, we're coming before you in guilt. Well, back in that culture, when the prodigal son asked for the inheritance, that was a wrong thing to do. And if the prodigal son was ever going to come back to his father, he would have a hard time standing in his father's presence. Okay? And then, you know, there's even some people in, in the church world, born-again Christianity, that somehow they fall into that, and they're afraid of their heavenly father, and they think God's mad at them, and they don't have confidence to stand in the presence of God. Well, Jesus came, and what Jesus wants to do is change our way of thinking about his father. So he's telling this story, and he's helping people to see the love of God and what God's all about, okay? So um, it's a change of thinking. It's a change in culture. Bible culture trumps every other kind of culture, okay? So it, it doesn't matter where you grow up, whatever nation you grew up in. If something about the nation and the culture that you grew up in is contrary to the Bible, Bible culture trumps that, and you get rid of that culture, and you replace it with Bible culture. And not everything in every nation is bad. There's a lot of good things in all the nations, but there are some things that are contrary to Bible culture, and when there's something that doesn't line up with the Bible, you go with Bible culture. And this is what's going on here. The Jewish people had the law, and Jesus is coming now, and it says the law came by who? Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So this is what we see going. So let's pick up with this scripture now, Luke chapter 15 and verse 20. It said, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Okay, so this to the Jews, to the Eastern world, is very shocking, even though it might, we just read it like it's a story, and we don't realize how shocking this can be to an Eastern person. But here's some of the things here. That, you know, this is like an unheard of act of love that a father would do this with his son, and, and it's, it's probably deeply touched the Jewish people when they heard this, okay? But here's how we would uh, visualize this from the Western world. So like, let's say the Queenslanders here. You know, you have a big, nice Queenslander house with one of those nice big porches, you know, and you can, you know, and you're, it's, it's setting on a bunch of acreage, you know, big farm with a long driveway, and the father's sitting there having a cup of coffee, and he's looking for his son, and he sees his son really far off, and he, then he runs to his son. But it's not like that, because back in that day, the farms were outside where the community lived, and all the farmers and everyone lived in a community, and their houses were close together, and then all the workers, they went out to their farmlands to work the farms. So it, it wasn't like that in that day. And what probably happened is when the prodigal son came walking through the farming fields, somebody probably sent word, the workers probably spread the word, and it got back into the village or the community, and the father heard about it because that's the way that they lived back then. 
And so the father then was looking for his son. And when he saw his son, what do we see there? It says that he ran to his son and he was filled with love and compassion and he embraced him and he kissed him. So here's a little more uh, information here about that. Here's a thought. The father could have been irate and ugly and he could have stayed and let his son just kind of crawl up like a worm, crawl like a worm to him, like I'm not worthy. And his son actually, we'll see it here next week, he did say I'm not worthy because his son grew up under the law and his son grew up and said I am not worthy. And we'll hear that next week. But before his son could even do that, the father ran to him, okay? And so that's surprising the Jewish people and the listeners back in those days. Um, Jesus begins illustrating what? A new culture. It's a culture of love, grace, and mercy. He began to unveil that to this group of people, okay? So here's a thought. The father actually, by running, he humiliates himself before the community so his son will be spared of judgment when the father ran. And, I, and we'll, we'll look at it here. Uh, here's, here's the thought. It's, it's not even a thought. It's back then. It was um, uncouth and, and demeaning for an elderly person to run back in those days in that culture. So elderly people didn't run because it was, it was not right. It was uncouth and demeaning. So here you have an elderly man, and he runs, first of all, toward his son. So here's a thought. The father, by running, redirects the judgment on himself in order that the son will escape judgment. Okay? That's what happened there. Doesn't that remind you of somebody that sent his son and who redirected the judgment on himself, his son, so that we would escape judgment? And so you see the waiting father. What the father did is even much bigger than what we look at the prodigal son, but look at what the father's doing here. Okay, here's some more about it. Grammar suggests uh, uh, that when he got to him, he kissed his son repeatedly. He kissed him repeatedly. There was a custom back in those days that if two people were having a dispute and they reconciled their dispute, it was reconciled with a kiss. So when the father, first of all, ran, it was demeaning and uncouth, but he redirected the judgment on himself. But then when he got there, by kissing his son, he also was saying, the dispute's already settled. It's already done. There's no dispute here. The father chose to forgive the son as soon as the son's heart went back to the father. Okay? And, And you see that that's what Jesus did for us. He's the waiting, well, his father's the waiting father, but he sent Jesus. And that is, uh, that's just telling us how our redemption is. It's sealed with a kiss, okay? So what happens is the father is sending a clear signal to the community that reconciliation has occurred. And the, the offending party, which was his son, he's forgiven and they're reunited again. That's what you see there. So here's some thoughts about that, okay? Jesus was establishing, first, heaven's culture over all other cultures. Secondly, he was establishing Christian culture over synagogue culture. Third, he was establishing Christian culture over nation culture. 
He was establishing New Testament culture over Old Testament culture. He was establishing grace culture over law culture. And he was establishing God's forgiveness culture over man's unforgiveness culture. That's what he was doing there when he told that story. He, he was trumping the old way with the new way. The, the old way's trumped by the new way. And that's not Donald Trump. <laughs> that's heaven trumping. And that, that's, that's what he was wanting to show us. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. And then this scripture just even comes more to life. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That is the doctrinal explanation of the story that Jesus told there you have it in doctrine that God loved us and I like this translation it says God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners so we can't really comprehend the love of God because God is able to love a whole world full of sinners when sometimes for Christians it's hard to love one person that says one little thing wrong. And God's loving a whole world full of sinners, but it doesn't stop there because a lot of times with Christians, they think, well, God loved me when I was a sinner, but now that I'm saved, he just expects so much more in a, and he's probably mad at me because I just haven't been living good enough. But I want to say that just like God loved a whole world full of sinners, God loves every Christian the same way. You know, it's hard for us to imagine, and please understand that what I'm saying here, I'm, I'm not preaching any kind of thing where you throw off constraint and live any way you want, but God, we can't comprehend God and His love. He even loves us when we're doing wrong. He loves Christians even in the act of doing wrong. He's love. He's love. Now, you know, it's His love, and I like to say it this way, we have a hard time to comprehend it, it's his love that transforms us and causes us not to want to do wrong. And people that don't know the love struggle. And we've lived around the world and we were living in one country and, and somebody said, boy, you know, a certain church was preaching on grace and somebody said, boy, I wonder how much sin is in that church that preaches on grace. And I had this thought come to me because there was another church that was in that country that was preaching more on the law, like legalism. And I thought, you know, these people probably would be surprised to know that the church's preaching on grace has less sin in it than the one preaching on the law and legalism. Because the way to escape sin is understanding the grace and the love of God. That's how we get overcome it. It's not by pointing fingers at people, judging people, kicking our fellow brothers and sisters when they're down. God and this waiting father, he didn't kick his son when he was down. As a matter, his son fell down and he picked him up almost immediately. That's God saying, hey, I want to pick you up immediately. As soon as your heart even turns back toward me, I'm ready to pick you up. God is so good. Thank you, Lord. Okay, so here's some closing thoughts and you can come, worship team. Uh, you can come on up and we'll get ready to close. But here's some closing thoughts, okay? Here's the first one. God's great love toward us occurs even if we're not worthy of his love. 
Okay, now, that blows our mind, but that's the way it is. God's great love toward us, it's there, even if we're not worthy of it. It's just because he's love. Okay, so here's a thought about that. Our love for God will not surpass our knowledge for his love for us. Okay, our love for God cannot surpass the knowledge that we have concerning his love for, for us. It's kind of like, you know, I said this when we, we got married a little later in life, and so we had kids when we were older. And I just told Patsy, you know, like it, we got some of the unselfish, and I'm not saying all young people are selfish. Let's just talk about me, not even Patsy. I'll take all the blame. When I was younger, 18, 19, 20, you know, hey, you know, you can have a little self. It's all about you. And then as you grow, it, it, you start getting rid of that, and it's all about other people. So we got married later in life, and we didn't have our first child till I was about, what, um, 36 years old or something, or 35. 30, I was 36 when I had our first child, you know. And, but hey, you know, you're, you're different when you're 36. And I was just saying, you know, it wasn't so much about us. It's, we lavished a lot of love on them. You, you see what I'm saying? And here, here's the thing, you know, the more you have knowledge of God's love toward you, the more you're able to love him back to a greater degree because we can't love him anymore than he really, we know he loves us. But then let's even take it a step further. It's hard to love other people any more than we have knowledge and revelation of how he loves us. So the more knowledge and revelation that we have how he loves us, the greater that we'll love other people. So we get to a place where we don't kick our brothers and sisters when they're down. We don't kick them while they're down. But we're like, God, we want to pick them up. As soon as they have one change of heart, we want to pick them up and we want to forgive them. Like seal it with a kiss. Because that's what the Father, he sealed it with a kiss. In other words, that's like saying the dispute's over. I'm not holding this against you. I'm capable of, of forgetting this. Because God, forgiveness is also forgetting. And then the next thing here is uh, when we turn our back on God, he remains faithful and he does not turn his back on us. Okay, and here's, here's another thought. Our faithfulness to God is fueled by the knowledge of his faithfulness to us. So when we have a revelation on how faithful God is to us, we want to be faithful to him. And that's why here at Raymond Family Church, you know, we're not going to say you need to serve and you need to do, because isn't it great when you get a revelation that God is faithful to you, you want to be faithful to God, and that faithfulness translates in a bunch of people serving out of their hearts, not from pressure, not from twisting of the arm, but they know God loves them and God is faithful and it makes us want to serve him and be faithful to him. Oh, I love that. I just love that. God is good. The next thing here, just closing, knowing God's great love is what empowers us to go boldly to the throne of grace. You know, there's a throne of grace, but if you think God is mad at you, you won't go there boldly. The way to get to that throne boldly is know God loves and he's faithful. He hasn't turned his back and you can go up there and it says go up there with boldness and you find grace and mercy. And mercy is thing, mercy's, uh, something God gives when we don't deserve it. <laughs> okay, all right. And then uh, also, just a few more, God will patiently wait on all wrongdoers to come back to him. If anybody's here, if you've been wrongdoing, just know that it's the waiting father and he's waiting patiently for you to return. He's not turning his back on you. He's still faithful toward you. And all you have to do is take one little turn toward him and he's ready to come running back. Glory to God. And then lastly, that God will run toward us 
with open arms that are full of love and compassion, mercy and forgiveness. You need to know that God is waiting to run toward you. He loves you. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.